Our scripture reading this morning is from the sixth chapter of the Gospel of Luke, beginning in the twelfth verse. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose twelve of them, whom he also designated apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by evil spirits were cured and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Looking at his disciples, he said, I'm moving down to verse 43. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Children, you may go to your respective classes. If you're visiting with us since December, we have been in a study in the gospel according to Luke, and we are working through that gospel verse by verse, line by line, episode by episode. This morning, we find ourselves, as we have for the last few weeks, in the sixth chapter of Luke, where just after calling the disciples, Luke renders his version of the great Sermon on the Mount that Jesus speaks to those same disciples that he has just called. The title of our message this morning is the inside-out nature of Christ's upside-down kingdom. Let me give you a backdrop to this message, especially if you are visiting this morning, and to sort of shift our all of our minds into gear. The Constitution of the United States was and is a radical document in the history of human governments. In the history of the human governments, There's never been another constitution that has even come near to the constitution of the United States of America. However, there is a kingdom who has a much more radical constitution. In the sixth chapter, Luke records Jesus giving his newly appointed apostles the Constitution, the Magna Carta of his kingdom. We have seen that 
Jesus said to his disciples, this will be an upside down kingdom compared to the way you have been living. It will function just the opposite way of the world thinks a powerful kingdom should function. For instance, Jesus began with what we traditionally call the Beatitudes about man's relationship with him. I mean, he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, not blessed are the proud, not blessed are the self-confident, not blessed are those who are aggressive, Blessed are those that seek success. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the humble. And he said, this is the way to happiness. This is a way of a relationship to God. And he told them that a path not to walk. And he said, it's a path that leads to misery. But to the world, it looks like a path that leads to happiness. Then he said in his upside down kingdom, people would actually love their enemies, actually do good to them, actually pray for them, actually bless them. (laughs) Then the third characteristic of his upside down kingdom was that there would be an absence of of a judgmental attitude. The world has always, since the Garden of Eden, where Adam said, it's her fault. We've always looked at others and blamed others and found fault with others. He said, my people will be known for their magnanimous disposition toward the sins of others. Now, if you think about this, the first characteristic had to do with the kingdom's relationship to God, its ruler, its founder. The second characteristic of loving enemies had to do with the kingdom's relationship with the hostile world around it. This third characteristic of having a magnanimous disposition toward the sins of others had to do with the relationship with our fellow citizens in this kingdom. The fourth characteristic that Jesus lays out about his kingdom has to do with our hearts. Where does this kingdom, where does this kingdom begin in our lives? Where do the people, he's spelled out this this upside down way of living, this difficult way of living. Where do the people of his kingdom get the energy to live this kind of life? What is the power source for walking that road of being poor in spirit that leads to joy? Where's the power source for loving your enemies? Where's the power source for being magnanimous with the sins of others? The world doesn't live this way. This is an upside down kingdom. It's a radical life. So where do we get the energy? When we spoke of loving our enemies, I'm not going to call any names, but I can look at you right now. and You know who you are. You're going to smile when I say this. Because you said to me 
not just one or two, a great many in this congregation said to me, I can't do that. I can't do that. I'm just, you, you said, I'm not there. And what did I tell you? Did I say, shame on you, you need to be there? No, I actually affirmed your words. I said, you are right. You can't do it. Not in and of yourself. You can't. How can I live by the radical constitution of this upside down kingdom? That's the question before the house this morning. I couldn't wait to get to this message. Now let's pray. Our Father, we come as priests with each other and for each other this morning. And we do pray for our dear sister Priscilla Turner. You know, Father, where she is in this battle. You know the great needs of her life this morning. And we pray that you would speak to her and speak through her. Father, bless her. Our Father, we thank you for the safe return of Carol Garner and how you used her and blessed others through her life in this trip. We pray for Ari Montgomery that you will bring him through this surgery. We pray for Jim Bennington that you will use this time to steady him and to strengthen him. Father, we pray that you would bring physical strength to his life. We thank you for the blessing that he is to this congregation. We pray for the RYM conference, especially for the junior highs as they leave next week. We pray that, Father, you would bless them. Use this trip powerfully, the life of this church and the youths that will attend. Now, Father, we've confessed as we approach this message this morning. We confess that we have tried to live the life of Christ, that Christ called us to live. We've tried to live by the strength and power of our sinful nature. Our Father, in our pride and our arrogance, we have said our hearts do not need to be changed. We have sufficient energy to live and to follow Christ without being born again, without being spiritually changed. Our Father, we confess that we've tried to be self-sufficient moralists instead of spiritually reborn followers of Jesus. Father, this morning calls us to remember the radical nature of the change that has taken place in our lives. Call us once more to a dependence upon the Holy Spirit. I can't make that happen, Father. I can't teach like that. I can't preach like that. So once more, we pray this morning that we would hear the voice of Christ himself in our hearts this morning. May we know when we leave here in a few minutes that we have heard from him. In his name and for his glory. Amen. The inside-out nature, the inside-out nature of Christ, upside-down kingdom. First, I want you to see that this passage teaches us that fruit 
he talks about a tree and fruit. And he says, fruit does not create the nature of the tree from which it comes. Now, we live in a country. Most of us are not city folks. But stop and think about this this morning. Fruit does not create the nature of the tree from which it comes. Look at verse 43. No good tree bears bad fruit. Look at verse 45. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. This seems to be an obvious point. But it's often missed, and when it's missed, it causes a fatal misconception. No good tree bears bad fruit. Hey, what's he saying? He's saying the tree itself determines the nature of the fruit. The fruit does not determine the nature of the tree. If I pick an apple from a tree, I do not say, this apple caused this tree to be an apple tree. I know this is an apple tree because it produces the apple. It's the tree. It's not the fruit that determines the nature of the tree. It may inform you of the nature of the tree, but it doesn't determine it. Jesus was saying, just so, the deeds that a person does or the words of his mouth do not create or recreate the heart within him. The world, in its many different expressions of religion, if it is a world-created religion, I can tell you this about it. Every and any, all world created religions preach a moral reformation that moves, that begins on the outside and moves in. Just be outwardly good and you will change what's inside of you. Jesus was saying the exact opposite. The fruit does not determine the nature of the tree. This moralistic outside in teaching is always slipping into the church. It had in Jesus' day. That's exactly where the Pharisees were, and the church has been plagued by it since, since the life of Jesus, since Jesus' day. That's where the Pharisees were. We can clean up our lives. We can outwardly keep a due test. And we'll be good people. Look at Matthew. Look at your scripture sheet of Matthew 23, 25. Look at this. It's so important. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Now, remember, these were highly religious people. They were in church not every week. They were in church every day. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. 
You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean, look at it, the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the, notice the outside. Notice the word outside, inside, it's all through this. You look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside you are full of dead men's bones and everything is unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Jesus pointed the Pharisee, and what did he say? All your religious deeds and all of your good works have not changed your hearts. The outside does not create or recreate or change the inside. The last four years, my right knee became very, very sick. I tried wearing a knee brace, a knee brace, hoping to gain some relief. I got no relief. I put salves and creams on the outside of my knee. They don't work. A surgeon told me that the cartridges in my medial meniscus, in my ACL, were not existent. It was just bone on bone. He said, John, if you're going to repair your knee, we must go on the inside. We must do surgery and go inside. To repair your knee. Five weeks ago I had knee surgery. The pain is already less now than it was before the surgery. It had to be healed from the inside out. That is exactly the message of God's word to mankind. That is the message of this book. It's the message of God's word. We have a heart problem, and it will not be healed by any amount of moral reformation on the outside. But this has plagued the church. I grew up in a church like this. Be good. Be good. Be good. Clean up your life. Just consider this. Think about this. Remember what he said to the Pharisees that we just read a moment ago. Consider what Jesus said to the self-righteous Pharisee, Nicodemus. And Nicodemus came to Jesus. He was asking questions. Look at John 3, 1 through 8. It's there on your scripture sheet. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees. And he was trying to reform his life from the outside in. Be good. You'll change your heart. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night. Rabbi, we know you are teachers come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you're doing if God were not with him. Jesus went right to the heart of the problem. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he's old, Nicodemus said? Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born. He completely... He had no concept of what Jesus was saying. 
Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water, that's born of flesh, and of the Spirit. He has to be born of the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to spirits, but the Spirit gives birth to Nicodemus, no work of man, no work that you do, even though you daily go to church, no work that you do can change your heart. It must be changed by the power of God on the inside. So this thing of loving your enemy, this thing of being magnanimous, the sins of others, where does it begin? It begins with a changed heart. Fruit does not create the nature of the tree from which it comes. Secondly, don't expect a tree to produce what it can. Look at verse 44. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. Jesus was saying, don't expect people who don't have a heart for God don't expect them to produce godliness. Don't expect people who have a heart for self and money and pleasure. Don't, don't think that they're going to produce godliness. Sometimes we look at the evil of the world. We look at the non-believer, the non-Christian, and we don't judge them to be non-Christians. They will say, you know, we're not Christians. We're non-believers. And what so often the church says to them, so often we say to them, you need to clean up your life. People, that's not evangelism. That's not a Christian statement. It's not a biblical statement. Jesus said a thorn bush cannot produce figs. If you stand before, go out and stand before a thorn bush in your yard and say, I want you to grow apples. I want you to grow peaches. If you start doing that, we're going to pick you up and take you to the asylum. Because any sane person knows that thorn bush cannot produce peaches. And yet, that's what the church often says to the world. You need to clean up your life. A friend of mine in the 70s, he was one of several friends doing this, was living with his girlfriend. Now, we had been friends since childhood. I often visited the house where he lived with his girlfriend. He did not pretend to be a Christian. At the time, in fact, he was really trying to be an atheist. And I would tell him the gospel, and we would debate back and forth about the existence of God and the reality and deity of Jesus. One day when we were together, he said something very curious. He said, you know, John, you've never said a word to me about my living with Mary. He said, I said, what are you talking about? He said, well, I would think that you condemn us living like we're living at sin. And I told him that God made the physical relationship between a man and woman to be a very wonderful and profound spiritual event of pleasure and communication inside the, inside the confines of a lifetime covenant between a husband and wife. I told him that people who tried to get into something more casual cheapened it. 
He said, then why haven't you said something about it? And I laughed. And I said, because that's not your problem. If you and me, and I told him, I said, if you and Mary decided you're not going to live together anymore until you were married, that would not make you a Christian. And since you're not a Christian, I don't expect you to act like a Christian. I will talk to you about Jesus. I'll talk to you about Christ and that cross. And when Christ invades your life, he'll deal with your relationship with Mary. I promise you. People, we're not communicating the gospel when we expect our non-Christian friends to act like Christians. We're telling them being a Christian is about you cleaning up the outside of your life. And folks, that's a lie. Understand this. If you're not a Christian today, and you're asking questions about the gospel. Friend, understand this about the gospel. The gospel is that the Holy Spirit of the living God must change your heart. Because nothing you can do, no effort, no religious affiliation, no great religious work is going to change your heart. Fruit does not create the nature of the tree. Don't expect a tree to produce what it can. Thirdly, the fruit does identify the nature of the tree. That's what the fruit does. It identifies the nature of the tree. It doesn't make the tree an apple tree or a peach tree. It just declares, it bears witness, this is a peach tree. This is an apple tree. Look at verse 44. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. The good man, and then he compares. The good man brings forth good things out of the good stored up in his heart. The evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. The nature of the tree is identified by the kind of fruit that the tree produces. Jesus is saying the nature of a man's heart is identified by the fruit that's produced. That's the proper order. Well, then, the all-important question before the house then is, what exactly is good fruit that the good heart produces? What is it? How do we identify the good fruit? On your scripture sheet, look at John 15, 5. I'm the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. What's he saying? If, if, if you're attached to me, you will produce good fruit. But apart from me, you can't. The good deeds and good things are defined as having Christ at the center. Christ is the motive. Christ is the work. Think of it this way. Draw one circle. Draw Just draw a circle. Complete circle. Then outside of that, draw another circle. Outside of that, draw another circle. Outside of that, draw another circle. Until you have ten concentric circles. Now, 
that inner circle, that first circle, is the primary purpose, the primary motive, primary force of your life. What's in that circle? Whatever is in that center circle will determine what is in the rest of the circle. If money is in the center of that circle, in that center circle, it will affect all the rest of the circles, what you do in the rest of those circles. If sports, if sports is the center, in that center circle, if it's about being an athlete, it's going to determine what's in the rest of the circles. If Christ is in the center circle, then Christ will affect all the other circles. He'll be the driving force in all the parts of our lives. That's where we get the strength to be magnanimous. That's where we get the strength to love our enemies. For instance, think about it this way. If I'm a banker, that's my job. If I'm a banker and Christ is at the center of my life, then my motives at work will be Christ-centered motives. My deeds at work will be Christ-centered deeds. My motives at home will be Christ-centered. My deeds at home will be Christ-centered. Now, those deeds, those deeds can be as diverse as hiring an assistant, counting cash, making a loan, kissing your wife, going to the grocery store, or playing golf. Whatever the activity is, whatever you're doing, does the motive have Christ at the center and does the deed have Christ at the center? That's where the power comes from. That's what the Holy Spirit does to our heart. Actually, and most people don't understand this, when the Pharisee went to church and prayed, it would have been better if he would have stayed home. It would have been better because his prayer was an actual participation in gross hypocrisy and arrogance. His very prayer was offensive to God. Look at Luke 18, 9 through 12. It's on your scripture sheet. Jesus tells a parable. To some who were confident in their own righteousness, they were trying to, to go from the outside in. I can reform my life. And they looked down on everyone else. Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you. I'm not like other men. I thank you. I'm not a robber. I'm not evil doer. I'm not an adulterer, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. God, look how good I am. I have reformed my life. I don't need the cross. I don't need a crucified Savior. I don't need the Holy Spirit to change my heart. It's the prayer of a fool. The motive of the Pharisee was to prove he was righteous above all others, that he didn't need God's grace, that he didn't need the Holy Spirit to change his life. So it was not a seemingly good deed. Some people would say, oh, he went up and prayed. That was not a good deed, folks. It identified an arrogant, self-centered, godless heart. 
just so singing in the choir, teaching in school, or me standing behind this pulpit and preaching, or making a donation to the church. If I'm saying to God, look how good I am, I can preach. That's a self-centered and evil thing. But think about Eric Little, the great runner, Christian, turned out the great Christian missionary. God made him fast, and he ran the Olympics and won. And what did he say? When I run, I feel God's pleasure. What an awesome thing. You understood. You see, if Christ is at the center, and he's the motive, whether you're playing golf or running, whatever it is, can do it to God's glory. That's where the power comes from. A lady answered a knock on her door. There was a man who looked very concerned. He said, I'm sorry to disturb you, but I'm collecting money for an unfortunate family in our neighborhood. The husband is out of work. The kids are hungry. The utilities will soon be cut off. And worse, they'll be kicked out of their apartment if they don't pay rent by this afternoon. The woman said that she would be glad to help, and she gave the man some money for this poor family. And she praised him. She said, you're such a kind man for looking after these poor foes. She said, by the way, who are you? And he answered, I'm the Lord. You see what looked like a good deed became an evil thing with a selfish motive. So what's the good deed that identifies the good heart? Something said or done in obedience to Christ out of love for Christ that emanates from the heart. And that can encompass everything from baking a cake to taking a nap. I want to tell you in closing about two different very different lives. The first man was named Tokichi. Tokichi. He was a man who was hanged for murder in Japan in 1918. He had been a very cruel man. He had been sent to prison 20 times before he was arrested a final time and condemned for a murder. He expressed no remorse about what he had done. But then two missionaries in Japan, Miss West and Miss McDonald, sent Tokichi a New Testament. And then Miss West visited him in jail. And he began to read the story of Jesus' trial and death in the gospel. To make a long story short, when he came to the cross, he understood. He understood what Jesus was doing. He understood his need. And for the first time in his life, confessed that he was a sinner and came to the cross for forgiveness. He said, I was stabbed to the heart as if by a five-inch nail. What did the verses reveal to me? Shall I call it the love of the heart of Christ? 
Mostly where it was. It was in the heart. I do not know what to call it. I only know that with an unspeakable grateful heart, I believe. Tokichi repented of his sin. He said his sentence was just and fair. His life with the guards and fellow prisoners completely changed. He accepted his execution and went home to glory. He was a murderer who was changed. Because he changed his deeds? No. He read a gospel that had not been diluted. He read a gospel that said, Tokichi, your heart needs to be changed by Almighty God. And then he loved his enemies. Why? Because he had a power that was beyond him. The second man was a man I knew for several years before he died. His name was Sam Patterson, Dr. Sam Patterson. He was a Presbyterian minister. He was my father's age. He had an unusual story to tell. He had been a fine, moral young man. He had gone to college. He was in seminary. He was an example of an outwardly fine, fine young man living a moral and good life. However, halfway through seminary, Sam Patterson, for the first time, really heard the gospel that Christ died for sinful men. For years, he had thought a Christian was someone who had cleaned up the way he lived. A Christian was someone who was living a moral life. And for the very first time, Sam Patterson saw himself as a sinner who needed a Savior. He asked God to change his heart, to give him a heart that loved Jesus Christ. Sam Patterson went on to become a great, great preacher of the gospel. He's one of the leaders who founded Reformed Seminary in Jackson, Mississippi. Now think about those two men. Tukichi, who lived a life of crime. Sam Patterson, who lived an outwardly moral life. Their lives look completely different, radically different. But neither man had a heart that brought forth the good fruit. Words and deeds whose motive was Jesus and whose work was Jesus. This morning, if you've been trying to be a Christian by simply being good or being religious, stop. Just stop. That's not the gospel. Right now, believe Jesus. Right now, say, I'm, I'm fed up. I'm through being a Pharisee. Jesus, I'm a sinner. Like Paul, I'm the chiefest of sinners. Say, ask him to change your heart. Our hymn, Spirit of the Living God, descend upon my heart. The bulletin we have printed